0: Hey, everybody, this is Pete. I'm one of the producers here at the Compassionate Achiever podcast. I just wanted to jump in before the episode and let everybody know that we will be having a live pod this coming thursday october 26th at 6 p.m in the kathwari honors house here on the midtown campus of western connecticut state university your co-host tracy day and dr chris cook will be joined by special guest mr farouk kathwari chairman president and ceo of ethan allen interiors incorporated come down check out the very cool space have some refreshments and join in on the conversation hope to see you there Hi, and welcome to the Compassionate Achiever podcast. I'm Tracy Day. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Chris Cook, political and social science professor at Western Connecticut State University. He is founder of the Center for Compassion, Creativity, and Innovation Director of the Kathwari Honors Program, Harvard Fellow, Fulbright Scholar, and ex counterintelligence officer, and of course, he is the author of the book "The Compassionate Achiever: How Helping Others Fuels Success." So, how are you? I saw you um, gimping in the studio. Uh, I was, I was a little gimping. It
1: well, was, well, was well. Before we get to the gimp, uh, how was how was your uh, how was your weekend?
0: Oh, crazy but good. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. That's yeah, awesome. just got lots lots of things going on. All first world problems, of, you good. know, isn't that great? Yeah, when you can say that, good. like, yes. you know, what color umbrella should I have in my drink? And, you know, <laughs>
2: <That> <laughs> all, is all kinds of like really
0: good problems like that. That, no, it was awesome. It was uh, awesome. That's awesome. That's so nice. let's get to the good stuff. Okay. Well, why that's our show. Were you, uh, yeah. And that's all we have for today. So why were you uh, gimping in here?
1: Well, as you know, I was able to get away with my three boys and my lovely wife, to a quick getaway down to the ocean um, mm-hmm. someone had given us a place to to use for you know two nights and a di- and a day and a half and so we jumped at that so I came right from there to to here and as I'm walking on campus walk through campus heading towards you know the honors house and before I get to the honors house I say you know hello to uh, an, an an older man mm-hmm. and you know I've seen him around campus before and His, uh, as soon as I said hello, uh, his uh, attack dog (laughs) attacked my uh, right uh, calf and bit me and went right through everything and pierced the skin. And no, and so- Wait, this just just, happened? Just just happened about 25 minutes ago. I'm not kidding. So uh, I went in, I pulled down my, because I could see that he pierced my pants and he- Oh, like I could it feel broke the skin. I could feel, the, I could feel the blood. So and honestly,
0: should we be doing this show? Do you want well, to go? May well, haven't this, looked at.
1: This is, I pulled down the socks and I could see. I said, I said to him, I said, "Wow, it pierced the skin. It pierced my skin." And he goes, "Oh,
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's what yeah. I got." Oh, and, and
1: I knew, um, you know, the assistant director for the honors program was in the house, so uh, I, I figured you know, I can get some band aid and something to at least put on it. So as I'm going in and uh, you know to to the uh, honors house i say, i turn around out the window there he is kind of quickly walking away uh as fast as he you know possibly could so you
0: don't even have his name or anything uh, the
1: cops know who he is oh, and i know okay, the dog's God. name cuz he said oh. bad chico
0: Oh, so, Chico. Yeah, okay, so, so we've got that. I,
1: I, I, yeah. That, you can that's, drive around
0: the neighborhood calling for Chico and no, say, I see who calling. shows up. No, I'm
1: not calling for Chico. <laughs> no, Chico and I had, a, you know, one meeting, and that's oh, good enough I for me. so sorry. Literally came out from
0: underneath the bench and just grabbed on
1: onto Ooh. my uh, calf. What kind of
0: a dog was it? Uh, it was, Please tell me it wasn't a pit bull or something. No, it was okay, some
1: type good. of short, you know, the short, angry dogs that had Napoleon complexes. Yeah, the little guys, yeah. sometimes yeah, they're... They, yeah, they can get... They get
0: that um, that name ankle biter for a reason. Yeah, the well, UPS missed man the told ankle. me that. He missed
1: <laughs> the ankle. He got the calf.
0: Oh my Can't, gosh! He literally jumped.
1: He literally jumped, and it was crazy.
0: Seriously, are you okay? You shouldn't have. Well, it if I start out?
1: foaming at the mouth, you know I went Cujo on you, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. The, uh, <laughs> oh
0: no. So am I going to have to be like compassionate towards you today?
1: I don't know if you can. I, I don't uh, know. Right? I
0: don't know. I I'm really I'm the worst about like not very compassionate about wimpy people, but I know that you are so not wimpy. You're like, (laughs) what do you call it? Fierce compassion. So I know if you're saying that it it hurts, it it must really hurt. Yeah.
1: He went in, but the, so I went to the health services and I thought they were joking around. They, they don't serve faculty. They don't, Service <laughs> back. I, I laughed because I thought they were joking. Seriously, I, this is like a weird movie, Outer Limits movie. That were like, to. Get bit are we on a candid dog.
0: camera? <laughs> like, and then really? Go,
1: the, the, the cop comes with me and he goes, "Doctor Cook, man, what happened?" I said, "I got bit by a dog," and he's like, "Holy!" Cow. He could see the holes in the pants, and, uh, oh <laughs> and I go, "I'm we, sorry, I'm we not both go, We both go into the health services, and they go, well, "We don't, Doctor Cook, we don't serve faculty." And I thought they were joking around. And I laughed, and they're like, no, we're serious. You have to go to the emergency room. And it's a minimum three hours. Oh. I said, I have a podcast, and I have, <laughs> I have oh class. Oh, my gosh. So I'm so sorry I, uh, that happened to you. Well, it, but the thing is, this guy lost his other dog. He had an older dog. Yeah. And you could tell was this his is his last. He's, he doesn't move very fast. When I say he was trying to walk away as fast as he can, it, it, it wasn't, wasn't very so fast. fast. <laughs> and, and so the cops are like... I, you know, what do you want to do? I said, well, it needs something to report. I said, but if I go to the ER, Oh, you're going to be
2: there
0: forever.
1: Well, they're going to quarantine the dog and take the dog. <gasps>
0: oh, they're going to take true. his last dog. And oh. I, 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 well, just, that was a very compassionate thing. I can't do that. <laughs> I, you know, I, even if your, you so, know, leg falls off and like <laughs> starts swelling up and so you the, get gangrene. So the police or,
1: were like, you know, we'll write it up here. And so they wrote it up. So just in case I, you know, something does happen <laughs> yeah, where I do then, become Cujo. Um, you know, if there's something on record, and they so, have it on record.
0: how do you know? Like, what do you have? Do you have rabies shots? Or I don't know. Do you I have guess to if find I, out if maybe you could. find Yeah, I think out I need to go dog. to my.
1: I'll go to my doctor tomorrow morning. Yeah,
0: and find out if that dog has. Right, I asked if, him. I said, "Does he
1: have his all shots?" He goes, "Uh huh."
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what's he gonna say? Uh, <laughs> we're a little yeah. behind on that.
1: So uh, I'll, I'll go tomorrow, but but yeah, wow. it was it was maybe crazy. Maybe we
0: should just like talk fast, and you should go today.
1: Uh, I have class too. Oh, I teach class well, today too.
0: They might not be so, so sad that when they find out. <laughs> no, they all I, like I, my class. Yes, they do. I told you, my daughter said that you were her favorite professor. I paid her really Seriously. well. Seriously. <laughs> well, uh, that daughter, goes without saying. No, I
1: got to say, your daughter worked her tail off. She buckled down and she went she went to town, and that was awesome to see somebody dive into the material and, and to. It's like she had something to prove, and it was—it oh, was, so it was awesome to, to be a part of. And I
0: have to thank her because she's the one that got me to the book that's signing, right. that got me to you, that got us to the podcast, yeah, and, and here we are.
1: And now I know Pete and Scott are laughing. I don't even know if they're at the producer boards right now. They're probably laughing. Yeah, yet. they
0: said they were gonna. They had some sound effect, yeah, which I didn't even know. Like what they? Were I don't want to know. We're,
1: we're not going to know until they release the <laughs> yeah, podcast. Exactly.
0: <laughs> well, if it, it'll give us some incentive to listen to ourselves, or give us incentive to. Delete the yes. <laughs> and Yeah, True. And I have a feeling you're gonna
1: be with those two. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Pete and Scott. Yeah.
0: Oh, you know I am. Yeah. You know when they say, um, I'm not laughing at you, I'm laughing with you. Yes. I'm not really laughing with you right now. <laughs> just, you know, like, <laughs> I mean you can't make that stuff up. No, you that... can't. You can't. Wow. But like we said, reality is usually better than fiction. That I can just see you. And you're a runner. Did you run away?
1: No, I. They say
0: not to run away.
1: No, I right. didn't. I turned away. I just quickly turned, and he came off my calf. Thank Ow. god! But it's sore right now. Let me tell. You. Oh, I'm
0: yeah, so I really am sorry so that happened. So the cops were awesome.
1: I hope the, it's okay. You know, Brian, the, the uh, one of our uh, police. He's a big guy. I'm not kidding. He, he he's. I'm guessing he's about seven one seven. He's whoa. He's big, and uh, he uh, he had some anti antibiotic oh yeah i was gonna like say
0: that. did you wash it out like so really I put some of put that some stuff, stuff
1: on like neosporin type stuff and yeah and wow. so it should be good but if i don't make it through the podcast everyone this <laughs> if was you start awesome to fade yes. and
0: like you're starting to like look woozy over there and like we hear this big <laughs> conk if i start the... to
1: growl <laughs> <laughs> pete's got to come the in the foaming of
0: the mouth is yeah, definitely just watch that
1: just a, watch that a clue yes. to maybe we should right. you know postpone it yeah I, you know what i don't know if pete or scott would actually come in
0: <laughs> if I might, were them, I'd be running for the like hills. Just leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just so you might be on leave your Leave it on Tracy. record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll just dart myself and call Ellie. <laughs> Ellie, yeah. I don't know. He was just laying on the floor. I have no idea why. <laughs>
1: yeah, great. <laughs> Chris, Chris, who? Yeah. yeah, exactly.
0: Well, speaking of law and yes. the and the cop that was so nice to you and came over and helped you, sounds like he was a compassionate. Policeman
1: Brian, without a doubt, is
0: well. That is such a timely little segue into our sure into our show today. Uh, so you just like give me a little, you know, heads up if we have to stop for any reason. If you're like really starting to oh, lose I won't it. say a word. I know you won't. <laughs> You'll just just power right through it. Yeah. Uh, so our topic today is actually compassion in law enforcement.
1: Right, and and. Mindful policing, as well. I mean, and I, I'm really excited for our guest today and, and that you lined her up. So,
0: she well, you were the one that um suggested it, and we've gone back and forth a couple of times, um, just by email. She sounds amazing. Jennifer Tejada, I hope that's how you say it. I think that's how you I say so. it. We'll ask her when she God. uh is online. She is actually the chief of police in Emeryville, California, and was. Marin County's first female chief of police. She is, she's very like, what do they call it? A, a, not adorned. What do they call that? <laughs> like when you have lots of accreditations and those accommodations and those. Oh, well nice awarded? Things. Awarded. Uh-huh. Yes. Maybe that I, there's another word for it, but whatever. Anyway, she's recognized. she sounds great. Recognized all those all of the above. Let's go with it. Chief <laughs> Todd has over 20 years of municipal law enforcement experience, and she's recognized as a strong advocate for community outreach and community policing. She's also created programs and are worked in several different leadership capacities in several specialized areas, including threat management, emergency and disaster preparedness, workplace violence prevention, hostage negotiation and domestic violence and sexual assault prevention. She's she's really a rock star. And she has also served on several violence prevention and victim services committees, boards and commissions. So I want to welcome Jennifer. So let's get her on the phone, Thanks. shall we? Decorated. Yes, that's the word. Oh, I couldn't hear you. I'm sorry. Decorated, that was the yes, word. Yeah, that's
1: HGTV moment. Yeah, decorated. Decorated,
0: yes. that was it. I'll bring it up and I'll give you credit. <laughs> yep. You want to talk to her first? Yes.
2: Good this is Jennifer. Yes. Hi,
0: Jennifer. It's Tracy Day and Chris Cook. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Good. Thank you. I really do want to thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast with us today. We were just uh, reading all your accolades and I couldn't come up with the word decorated. So that was the word I was oh my looking God. for. Don't, don't go there. <laughs> you are no I mean really you have some amazing you know accreditations to your name and and we so appreciate you being here
2: so the reason wait a minute were you reading there is more than one Jennifer Tejada out there so make sure you were reading mine <laughs> we're oh, no, definitely, we were yeah we, were we, definitely we, got you, reading we got you yes you're right there's <laughs> okay.
0: somebody else in business or whatever but I I quickly realized <laughs> right. no I don't think this is the right one but no we have got you the right one and our Our topic of discussion today is compassion in law enforcement. And Mm -hmm. um, so I want to ask you, how do you think we create a culture of compassion in our police departments towards citizens? Obviously, we're going to talk about um, some, you know, all these police shootings and that kind of thing in a little bit. But overall, how do you think we create compassion amongst the communities, towards the, or amongst the police, towards the citizens, and then vice versa, the communities towards the police. How do you think we do that as a society?
2: Wow. Well, that answer itself will take about a half an hour. Okay. So what are you doing on the ground? Yeah. it's, it's It's a very complex question because it's, suggests that compassion doesn't exist in the community and doesn't exist in law enforcement when I think it exists in in great uh, volume and I know that most people who come into the law enforcement profession come in with some just amazing virtuous ideals about helping people and wanting to be the hero who, you know, pulls somebody from a car and who catches the bad person who's just assaulted somebody, who wants to really do good and sees that good through the optics of saving people's lives, putting criminals away, you know, calling offenders um, to, to be accountable. And so we come into this profession with compassion oozing out of our pores. Mm -hmm. I think the majority of our community members also have compassion towards police officers and their local officers. And, you know, we put an awful lot of effort into community policing back in the the 90s and building those relationships. And the, the compassion that exists, I think, has been, in law enforcement from my experience the compassion that i came in with slowly became diminished and diminished over time or attempts to diminish it occurred over time mm. and and that occurs in the in this way i am by no means an expert on this i'm just giving you my two cents based on my experience and what I see and what I've, what I've seen happen. From the moment we enter into a police academy, we are taught to be stoic, right? We have to stand in a line. The line has to be straight. Not one foot must extend beyond the foot beside you. Your tie has to be straight. Your buttons on your shirt have to be straight. Your shirt has to be ironed. The creases have to be just so. And you are not allowed to smirk. You're not allowed to laugh. You must be void of emotion for much of this training. And so there begins the journey into... Uh, you know, damping down emotions. And when you damp down emotions, I think you lose compassion, you become more hardened. So you're in the academy, you go into the academy, you're just so excited to be doing this great career that you've dreamed of, you're going to help people, you're going to arrest the bad people, and you're going to help victims, and everybody's going to love you. You come out of the academy and you go through more training in the police department the in house training, the field training program and again the the emphasis is on you know you must be stoic you must you, not in those words, but you've got to you 've got to be um, the you know what 's the word i 'm looking for unbreakable right, and you can 't show emotion and I remember when I first started, and I would take a long time on my calls for service because I was speaking with people. I was connecting with victims. I was taking my time to make sure that that they knew I cared about them, that I had compassion. And I got marked down for that because I'm taking too long on my calls. And, Mm -hmm. And you know, Jennifer, while you're taking a half an hour on a call that should take five or 10 minutes, your other officers are picking up the slack for you. You're creating more work for officers. So there's this constant pressure to just be robotic and um and so, just you know think about that happening over and over again in an officer's career and and how then we we fast forward to the last few years in law enforcement where we're seeing more and more of abuses uh, of power by some law enforcement professionals, some of them are not abuses of power but Certainly all of them are portrayed in the media as abuses of power, and now you have the community that's influenced by all of this media, all of the messaging about police, and what's the effect on police officers. They're going to batten down the hatches even more because now we're under attack. Now we're under threat. So I think we're at a very important time in law enforcement in terms of reform. And when you look at reform efforts in law enforcement whether it's because somebody has been shot and killed or whether um you know officers have been arrested for risky behavior for having sex on duty whatever it is um i lost my train of thought um (laughs) it's okay i do it all the time (laughs) no i have no so much going on in my head because i'm so passionate about this but In terms of reform, so here's my train of thought. Every time we have an issue in society, it seems like whether it's increased mental health issues, increased homelessness, drug addiction, crime, we throw training at officers. And the training falls short, in my opinion, of helping officers be human and have humanity in their policing, which means compassion and what they do, compassion for themselves. And so everything, and you, if you look at the reform, and you even look at the six pillars of 21st century policing that President Obama's task force came out with. Those six pillars are fabulous. They are really right on the money in terms of what we need to be doing. And for some of us, we've been doing that for a long time. We're just seeing it now in a, a sort of a, a scholarly format but um, not one of them speaks to the wellness of an officer. One of them it does speak, I think it's the sixth one, officer wellness, but nothing about building resiliency in our officers, nothing about how do we keep our officers healthy psychologically, emotionally. How do we do that? Because if we expect them to go out into the community And be compassionate and have emotional regulation. Why aren't we teaching them this? Mm -hmm. So
0: I have a a question uh, for you. You mentioned, um, you touched on this a minute ago, and I've also read that you said that you grew up in a climate of collaborative law enforcement practice and that working under the leadership of, was it Chief Brian Brady? helped set the stage to be connected to community, to serve with that sense of duty and be collaborative with community members. Um, I Mm -hmm. love that. So how do you instill that in your own staff now?
2: I I take away the pressure. There's a lot of pressure on officers from the moment they're pinned on their badge. Go out, be active, you know, chase people, arrest people, and I've taken away that sort of sense of purpose in just going out and stopping every car and stopping somebody who looks suspicious and just, you know, take a break. Like mm-hmm. It's not that important that you're chasing down every single car. Take time. Do quality police work. Get to know the community. So... We, you know, we have community events, et cetera, but with my officers' I'm, I've been stressing. I, I came into this police department on the heels of an officer involved shooting. Mm-hmm. and the police department had basically battened down the hatches on talking about it, acknowledging it. Taking care of the officers and their emotional needs around it. Two officers were involved in the shooting. There were city council protests, um, protests on the freeways, out on the street. The officers had been told they can't. You can't talk about this. Hmm. And so we had these kind of this this very damaged sort of environment, people, and my task when I came in as I saw it was to to build back up their spirit, to really give them an opportunity to feel the emotion of what happened and to feel human again. And and so that's you know, that's really where it starts. We have to take care of our people. And during a department meeting, I brought it up. I talked about it. I, I, I gave accolades to the two officers because they, in this situation, um, they really had saved a man 's life who was trapped in a car being held at gunpoint by a citizen and um, nobody had told them you know that that was the right decision to do you had to do that you were you were forced into doing that, but beyond that um, giving them the space that they need to take a break and to you know, we we created a room here. There was an IT office, and we we created a quiet room, a meditation room, and they can go in there and they can have quiet time. They hadn't, they didn't have a space like that before. In fact, it's not, it wasn't welcomed to come in and take an emotional break. Mm. You know, just to sit for a minute and think about what, what's that that horrible detail that you just went on. Let's take time out and and. Sit and, and and recognize the emotion, acknowledge the emotion and this don't stuff it, let it out let's talk about it um, so I, whatever I think I do my very best to take care of my officers to make sure that they know I care about them that they have the tools necessary to take care of themselves mm-hmm. because if they can't take care of themselves, how can I expect them to go out and take care of the community that we serve?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's the first step in this, is to, to bring this officer wellness into the arena of compassion for self and really learning about emo- emotional regulation and what I call mindful policing. And, um, so that's what I've been doing and, uh, doing a lot of different things to, to help officers feel good about themselves and about what they do. And
0: you've done some classes, introduced some different classes with this mindful policing, right? That, um, so So tell us about that, that.
2: The, the first thing that I did was I introduced, uh, yoga, And we called it, I think we called it tactical readiness to get them into the class. (laughs) And this is yoga that's taught by a uh, veteran of Phoenix Police Department. She's a 20-year veteran, and she actually lives in Emeryville now, and she teaches yoga for first responders. Um, And so I brought her in, and we we bring her in about once a month, and she'll do yoga. At the beginning, she came in like, I don't know or three times the first month and um, she teaches yoga she's got credibility because she's a former police officer um, so then I brought in heart math are you familiar with heart math yes
0: yep I'm not okay. so yeah can you tell us uh... so
2: um, cops love toys and as much as I want them to just get the mindfulness thing I do realize I'm I, my audience likes to have toy. They like to see, feel things. So I investigated heart math and found that, you know, there's, there's great value in what this product is able to um, do in terms of helping the officers get in touch with their body's reaction to stress. So I bought a heart math device for everybody. Uh, we happened to be rolling out iPhones for everybody, and I loaded HeartMath and um, Insight Timer and 10% Happier on everybody's iPhone. And we had Don Chartron from HeartMath come in, and he did a two-hour session with everybody on the value of the sensor. And um, what we've done is I, you can't... The, the challenge in this kind of training is that you can deliver it but you can't force it you can't say to people you have to do this every day you have to meditate in the morning and in the evening blah 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 you can't do that you can only provide the information the tools and the the means and then hope that the officers will pick up some or some of it or all of it so the way we've we've used heart math is everybody has the sensor, but when we do defensive tactics training and when we do firearms training, we have them hook up to their sensor so that they can see their breathing right before they go to... Sorry. Right before they shoot their weapons or right before they go into their defensive tactics routine, they're looking at their breathing and they're trying to get it into the zone of coherence. Mm. And so My hope is that it teaches them that when they're out on the street, they can recognize my breathing is shallow, my heart's racing. If I get my breathing under control, I'm going to have much more awareness and clarity about what I'm walking into. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's one thing that we're doing. The other thing, and five of my officers just took off to this this morning, five of my staff, is the Immersion Training for Mindfulness-Based Resiliency. And that's a -a two-and-a-half-day program, and it's taught by Richard Gerling, a lieutenant from Oregon who has Mindful Badge, is his website. Um, So that is sort of the foundation for mindfulness in policing and mindful policing. And the model that we, myself, and my team of conspirators is that officers take the two-and-a-half-day immersion training, followed by eight sessions of compassion and care training, two-hour sessions. And that research shows that at the conclusion of that, they will have that um, awareness and the ability to regulate their emotions, to be more compassionate towards themselves, and compassionate towards the community members, and we'll have a much uh, healthier police officer out on the street. Mm-hmm. That's the goal.
1: So, Chief, uh, one thing I, for our listeners out there that you know some some of us may get when we're you know talking about the importance about the, of compassion. And it'd be great to hear an answer from a chief who's on the cutting edge of this, is when someone comes up to you and, and, or, or says something to this effect that, you know, compassion is soft, it's weak, right? It, it's not strong. What do you say in response? What would you say in response to somebody who would say, you know, compassion is, is, is a weak thing? It's, it's not something that police need, right? How would you respond to that?
2: Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I told her no tricky questions. No, this is. No, the, I'm
2: kidding. Okay, and oh, I'm gonna give her time. Think, oh, okay, no, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Compa- when, when we allow officers to have compassion for themselves, to acknowledge the stressors of this job, to acknowledge the emotional damage that can be caused by this job. When we give them permission to do that it is absolutely um, it, its I think it's it's groundbreaking in terms of giving them amazing strength to be the best that they can be the fortitude that they get from this permission to to have emotion to have compassion for self is is just um, I, I think it's 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 an aha moment for officers that they can be that way that they can have that compassion for themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool.
2: And um, so I don't know how to phrase it in the context of your question, but it gives them. You know, there's lots of research that that suggests that this kind of training actually improves personal relationships. And I know that from my own experience. And there's reduced emotional stress and definite improvement in clinical health and uh, a sense of of purpose, renewed purpose that might have been lost since the early days of one's career. And um, you see the world through... I think what happens to officers, some officers, I'll try not, not be general in my statements, but what happens to some officers is that over time we become kind of cynical about life and, and it can be a very dark place. Mm-hmm. And, but once you have this training, that curtain is lifted, and you see the world through a much health, healthier lens. And it, it really makes it easier and enjoyable to be connecting in positive ways with people, whether it's at work, in your family, or out in the community. It, it has all of that benefit.
0: So I saw a research study, um, I think it was by Pacific University, that um, they did an eight-week mindful program that it included training like meditation, martial arts, uh, breathing, body awareness, all that kind of thing. And it said they found significant improvement in health outcomes like stress, fatigue, sleep quality, all those things that they actually feel contribute To the issue of police killings so I I read this stat um, from the Washington Post database I mean I'm just going with it It was on the internet you know (laughs) gotta take it with a grain of salt 963 people were shot dead by police in the U.S. in 2016 and 991 in 2015 and like you said when you came to Emeryville you were kind of having to deal with that situation sounds like you kind of walked into a hornet's nest as well but they've really Mm -hmm. shown that there's a link to this right that when they when police are not so stressed and um are getting sleep and like you said are being mindful that it has really brought those stats down so do you think that's enough do you think that's the wave of the future for you know most police departments to you know to do this kind of mindful police training or is there more that we need to be doing
2: I think it's a piece of reform in policing I don't think it's the do all and end all of our journey to be the best that we can be but I certainly feel like if we don't do this all of the other efforts will not be effective. So you can do, you can introduce new legislation, new policies, citizen oversight, um, new trainings. But if, if we don't include training about how to build resiliency in our officers, And by that, I mean mindful policing and all of the emotional regulation, compassion building, all of that. If we don't do that, all of these other things won't help us. Mm -hmm. So everything that we're doing is external to the police officer. We need to look internally and see how can we help the officers be the best that they can be.
0: And I was I was reading some stats about like the um, police career um, rates of depression, PTSD, substance abuse, uh-huh. sleeplessness, diabetes, blah blah blah. Goes on and on. And a, a huge one, um, they're also more prone to attempting suicide than the general population. Um, those are tough yep. statistics. So do you think mindful policing is going to address a lot of these issues in and of themselves? You know, there's kind of two sides to the coin. The how do we, you know, help police, you know, not be trigger happy, and then on the other hand, trying to help themselves, too.
2: Absolutely. I think, um, you know, suicide is is by, uh, if you read some of the research, suicide is the number one killer of cops, followed by cardiac cardiovascular disease. So, uh, I really believe that uh, mindfulness meditation is a huge part of addressing those statistics, um, because the neuroscience tells us that mindfulness meditation actually changes the the functioning of the brain. I'm not a scientist, so I won't go into the details because I can't. But um, really, I think, um, knowing from my own personal experience what mindfulness meditation did for me um, and and for those people in law enforcement who uh, I'm close with, who practice, um, we've all been on the edge. We've Mm -hmm. all been on the edge, ready to jump. And mindfulness has pulled us back and made us whole and healthy um, and not a statistic.
1: And Chief, one of the things with mindful meditation, and, and spe- specifically I do compassion meditation, is not only do you get, I think, what you're get, talking to a, a lot about is the resilience. You're, you feel like you can bounce not just back to where you were, that, that's not really resilience, but back to even a better place <laughs> than, yep. th- than you were before, uh, right? Um, but yeah. I noticed when I do mindful meditation that, and, and I was a counterintelligence agent, one of the things that was really clear is that literally the world became clearer, crisper. Like everything, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, I, I like to tell people it's when you, when you do mindful meditation and you have this awareness, it's like when you're in the zone when you're an athlete. Right, everything is a little slower yeah. the baseball looks like a watermelon all of a sudden right? and the basketball right. hoop that you're shooting in it just got doubled in size and you can just hit from anywhere and yeah. that, it gives you that tool for life I think mindful meditation and compassion meditation and w- would you say that?
2: Absolutely it, it absolutely enhances your focus and awareness I uh, on a side note I play tennis I'm not that great, but I will tell you that I'm like a three-five. So <laughs> kind of, I dabble, and but I will attest to that. I, when I do my breathing, when I'm when I'm on the court, and I remember, okay, I've got to you know take some deep breaths. Let's just you know be in the moment. Do a little bit of meditation. My game is better. My game is always better for those reasons that you just stated. I'm focused, I'm aware, um, it's just uh, much more clarity. So for officers, where that is important is in our tactical response to situations.
0: Mm-hmm. And we
2: we've can talked greatly enhanced the awareness of an officer in a situation um, through mindfulness that doesn't exist before because what we tend to do in police work is we script the calls before we go to them. And that's very dangerous because when you script a call, you're predicting what you're going to do before you know what elements exist at the call. And I think that can be a contributing factor to mistakes that are made. Um, and, And then we go into the arena of implicit bias. And how does mindfulness meditation um, speak to that? And I think it absolutely speaks to it in, in understanding that, um, you know, we, we do make judgments. We make unconscious judgments about people. Everybody has implicit bias. And once we are aware of that, we respond differently to people in our world. So, and compassion, I think, has a big role in that, you know, so for many reasons, not just officer health, but for implicit bias um, issues, mindfulness is really a great um, opportunity to, to address that. Mm
0: -hmm. And especially when they get in um, a situation that does require just an instant response You know, it's that muscle Mm -hmm. memory thing that we've talked about. If you know how to, you know, take those few breaths and calm yourself so that you can go to that place instead of trying to figure out how to deal with it in an instant, um, then it makes, you know, certainly, hopefully a better outcome. And the research certainly says that. So you mentioned something um, about predictive policing. What are your thoughts on that? Is it the wave of the future? I mean, how does that how does that help things or or hinder them? I don't know.
2: Well, I don't know that I mentioned predictive policing, but I what I was saying about the officers scripting calls is that what you mean predictive? When-
0: well, you you said they're being predictive on when they're on a call, right? So. Yeah. <clears throat>
2: so predictive policing in the analytical statistical world is looking at where crime is occurring, what time it's occurring, et cetera, and predicting that it's going to occur on those times. So if we, for example, our burglars occur on Wednesday afternoons between 3 and 7 p.m., so we can predict that, we send our officers there. What I'm speaking to in terms of the officer going to the call is that <clears throat> in training we often are taught the what-if game. What if you're driving down the street and a bank robber comes out of that bank? What are you gonna do, recruit? Tell me, you know? And you're constantly playing the what-if game and you're constantly uh, evaluated on your ability to scan the environment. Where are the threats in the environment as an officer, right? Mm. And so with years of that sort of conditioning, you end up going to calls for service unconsciously playing the what-if game. So what if I get there and this is present or that's present, this person, that person? Okay, it's a shoplifting call. So I know how that goes. I'm just going to go. And then all of a sudden it's not the shoplifting call. It's something different, and you're not ready. You're not prepared. So um, predicting the nature of the call we're about to go to is, is really not a good thing we do teach our officers because we teach them that in the context of being ready for anything, right? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a double-edged sword. Um, so that sort of predictive policing where officers are, are sort of assuming what's going to happen at any given call is very dangerous, I think. Uh, and one of my officers actually said to me a few weeks ago, he, he chased me down the parking lot, and he said, Chief, Chief, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I, I just... I am such a better officer now that I'm meditating. He meditates in the morning and the evening. And he said when he goes to calls, he's not scripting them beforehand. And he's also not engaging in the negative narrative after the fact uh-huh. about what you know, what might I have done wrong or what's going to happen next. He's not engaging in that. And that negative narrative in our heads, you know, is just uh one of the things that that I think for officers the occupational stressors falls you know is is um fueled by that and so he doesn't do that anymore and and that's a really great great thing and that that there is is you know the value of this that and he's going with it's open mind
0: you mm-hmm. you're in the moment that Well, kudos to you for really pushing this and getting it out to other, other people and other forces and, and everything. We so appreciate you sharing your thoughts on it. So we always, at the end of every uh, podcast, we throw out a question. Um, do you think compassion is a value, a virtue or a verb? A value of what you are a verb. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't—it's not meant to be a real deep question, but why? You know, (laughs) we throw it out to everybody at the end.
2: Oh, I think it's a value, because if it's a value, then it becomes the do the verb. You know, I think it is a value. I think most police officers um, embrace that value, and sadly, this profession erodes at that just by the nature of what we do.
1: And chief, uh, now,
2: they say that we don't get invited to a birthday party unless somebody has been stabbed. Oh, no. oh. Sort of, well, that's sort of, you know, that's what they say in our world. And, and, uh, you know, we've got to treat our officers much better than that. We've got to invite them to the party just for them, mm-hmm. celebrate them. And yes, you know, there are bad apples in this profession and people who have done terrible things, but not all of us. And we've really got to keep working in a positive direction and let's celebrate the good, deal with the bad, celebrate the good, and keep moving forward in a positive way to, to instill this compassion and empathy in our officers so that they can be the best that they can be and, and they can live happy, healthy lives. And uh, that will translate into their work.
1: Well, I think compassionate policing and mindful meditation is actually a great step forward. And actually, it's, I think, a couple steps forward. So, you know, thank you for doing that. I know that the Marines have done something similar, and there are um, police departments, not only throughout the United States, but also in Canada, yeah. that also are, are doing this. And we do have some federal agencies moving in this direction as well. So thank you for
2: border patrols, just, um, just, uh, committed to doing it with all of theirs, their, uh, academy classes. Mm -hmm. Did you know that?
1: No, that was news to me. Thank
2: you. Yeah. Well, it shows that Um. it's
0: working. You know, obviously people are really embracing it because it is working. So thank you so it is much. Working. It's
2: just difficult to to push the agenda because we are a profession that doesn't really embrace the softer side of training. <laughs> and it's sort of, you know, um, kind of showing the damage that the job does to us personally. We're not good at, at letting the world know about that. And so... Um, but we've got to keep moving forward.
0: Well, you were
2: terrific. Chief Jennifer
0: Tejada from Emeryville, California, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Be sure and uh, find us at WCSU Media for uh, the Compassionate Achiever podcast. And thank you, Chris, as always.
1: Well, and thank you. And for the listeners out there, we hope we have another uh, podcast edition where you were able to unlock the compassion achiever within you so that you can unlock success.
0: Thanks, Thanks again.